Welcome to the April pod. My name is Louisa April, and this is a podcast where I'm going to read to you. So, one of my goals for 2021 was to read 21 books in the spirit of accountability. Every time I start a new book, I'm going to spend 21 minutes reading this book out loud to you. Then you can decide whether you want to buy it or not. So, this isn't a book review, it's just people who love books listening to each other read a book, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope that you enjoy the following episodes. Looking forward to hearing from you, and always feel free to suggest a book and follow me on my social media platforms at Louisa April. Bye! Happy reading! There are many ways of dying. The nurse shouts at us. The pain is etched in his voice and the rage has mapped his face. We listen in silence. This, our brother, is a way that has left us. Ooh, this, our brother's way, is a way that has left us without words in our mouths. This little brother was our own child and his death is more painful because it is of our own creation. It is not the first time that we bury little children. We bury them every day, but they are killed by the enemy, those we are fighting against. This, our little brother, was killed by those who are fighting to free us. We mumble. It is not for the nurse to make such statements. His duty is to tell us how this child saw his death, not to give ammunition to the enemy. Is he perhaps trying to push his own political agenda? But others feel that there is no way the nurse can explain to the funeral crowd how we killed the little brother without parading our shame to the world. That the enemy will seize hold of this and use it against us is certainly not the nurse's fault. Like all good nurses, he is going to be faithful to the fact. Doloki belongs to the section of the crowds that believe strongly in the freedom of the nurse to say it as he sees it. He has been to many funerals and has developed admiration for those who are designated nurses at these rituals. They are the fortunate ones. Those who are the last to see the deceased alive, usually they are a fountain of fascinating information about ways of dying. He moves forward a bit, for he wants to hear every word. The muttering about the nurse's indiscretion has become so loud that it is beginning to swallow his words of anger. Doloki thought he would need to elbow his way through the crowd, but people willingly move away from him. Why do people give way, he wonders. Is it perhaps out of respect for his black costume and top hat, which he wears at every funeral as a hallmark of his profession? But then, why do they cover their noses and mouths with their hands as they retreat in blind panic, pushing those behind them? Maybe it is the beans he ate for breakfast. They say it helps if you put some sugar in them and he had no sugar. Or maybe it is the fact that he has not bathed for a whole week and the December sun has not been gentle. He has been too busy attending funerals to go to the beach to use the open showers that the swimmers use to rinse the salt water from their bodies. Merry Cressy, O Toppy, whispers a drunk, the only one who is not intimidated by whatever it is that people seem to fear from his presence. Merry Christmas, old man. Old man? He is only 38 years old. 
He might even be younger than the drunk. It is the perfume, Otopi, it is too strong. He hears a woman snigger. Why would anyone hate his sacred fragrance? It is the perfume that he splashes all over his body as part of the ritual of his profession before he goes to a funeral. On this fiery Christmas day, its strong smell is excavated by the stench of sweat, not only from his body, but from those in the crowd as well. Toloki is now very close to the makeshift podium where the nurse defiantly stands, but he still cannot hear a word he is trying to say. Some of us are heckling the nurse, some are heckling the hecklers, so we do not hear one another. Toloki never thought he would be alive to see the day when a nurse would be heckled. This is sacrilege that has never been heard of before, and at the funeral of an innocent little boy on Christmas Day too. Then he sees her, the mother of the boy. She is a convulsion of sobs and is surrounded by women who try to comfort her. She lifts her eyes appealingly to the feuding crowd and Toloki thinks he has seen those eyes before. But how can it be? He must approach and speak with her. Only then can he be sure that people close around her and stop him. I just want to speak with her. We know who you are. You are Toloki, the professional mourner. We do not need your services here. We have enough of our own mourners. It is not on a professional basis that I want to see her. Please, let me speak with her. Ha! You think you are going to convince her behind our backs to engage your services. I can tell you we have no fees to pay a professional mourner. We mourn just as well. Who are these people anyway? Who won't let him see the woman he strongly suspects is from his home village? He learns that they are members of her street committee. They are determined to protect her from all those who want to harass her with questions about the death of her son. Newspaper reporters have been particularly keen to get close to her, to ask her silly questions such as what her views are on the sorry fact that her son was killed by his own people. They are keen to trap her into saying something damaging so that they can have blazing headlines the next day. The street committee is always vigilant. The nurse cannot go on to tell us the story of the death of the deceased, this our little brother. The din is too loud. The church minister says a quick prayer, spades and shovels eat into the mound of the earth next to the grave, and soon the hole that will be resting place of this little brother forevermore, amen, is filled up. Those nearest the those nearest the grave sing a hymn, while a man with a shovel delicately, delicately shapes the smaller mounds that has risen where the hole used to be. Wreaths are laid. Someone wants to know if the messages on the wreaths will be read for the public, as is customary. And in any case, where are the relatives of this bereaved mother? She has no relatives, someone else shouts back. The street committee are her relatives. Then a procession led by the van that had brought the coffin to the graveyard is formed in the preparation for the solemn march back to the home of the mother of the deceased in the squatter camp. Where will we wash our hands and feet and feast on this food that has been prepared by the street committee? Toloki decides that he will rush home to the home of the deceased, wash his hands and disappear from the scene. He will have nothing to do with the people who have treated him with so much disrespect. 
Hungry as he is, he will not partake in their food either. If he did not give so much reverence for funerals, rituals, he would go home right away without even washing his hands. People give way as he works his way to the head of the profession, procession, which is already outside the gates of the cemetery. By the time he gets to the street, the procession has come to a standstill, and people are impatiently complaining about the heat. Others attempt to sing hymns, but their voices have gone hoarse from the graveyard feud. Those who can still come up with a feeble note or two are overwhelmed by blaring hooters in the street. These come from a wedding procession of many cars and buses, all embellished with colorful ribbon and balloons. They are going in the opposite direction and will not give way to the funeral procession. The funeral procession will not give way either, since out of respect of the dead, it is customary for funeral processions to have right of way. The wedding party is enjoying the stalemate, and they sing at the top of their voices. Their heads and sometimes half their colorful clad bodies appear from the windows of the cars and buses, and they beat the sides of those vehicles with their hands, creating a tumultuous rhythm. The driver of the convertible car in front, which carries the bride and the bridegroom, argues with the driver of the van, which carries the mother of the dead child. You must give way. But we are a funeral procession. We are a procession of beautiful people and many posh cars and buses, while yours is an old skoroskoro of a van and hundreds of ragged souls on foot. It is not my fault that these people are poor. No one will budge. There might be a violent confrontation here, since the driver of the convertible, who is a huge fellow, is beginning to call certain parts of the van's driver's mother that the slight van driver never even knew she had. Toloki walks to the convertible. He greets the bridal couple and is about to give them a stern lecture on funeral etiquette when the ill-humored driver of the convertible suddenly decides that he will give way after all. He signals to the other drivers in the wedding procession to park on the side of the road so that the funeral procession can pass peacefully. Doloki smiles. He has this effect on people sometimes. Perhaps it is his fragrance. In the black costume and top hat of his profession, it cannot be that the driver of this convertible is intimidated by his size. He is quite short, in fact. But what he lacks in height, he makes up for in breadth. He is quite stockly built and his shoulders are wide enough to comfortably bear all the woes of bereavement. His yellow face is broad and almost flat. His pointed nose hovers over and dwarfs his small, childlike mouth. His eyes are small and have a permanently sorrowful look that is most effective when he musters up his famous graveside manner. Above his eyes rest thick eyebrows like the hairy... The driver of the van approaches him. The mother of the child we have just buried wants to thank you for what you have done. So he goes to the van and his suspicion is confirmed. He has no doubt that this is Noria, the beautiful stuck-up bitch from his village. She has grown old now and has become a little haggard. But she is still beautiful. And she too recognizes him. Toloki, you are Toloki from the village. Yes, Noria, it is me. I wanted to see you at the graveyard, but they would not let me get near you. You can't blame them, Toloki. Ever since my son died, all sorts of people have been pestering us. 
Then she invites him to come see her at the squatter camp when she, when the sad business of the funeral is over. Doloki walks away happy, with a happy bounce in his feet. He will wash his hands and leave quickly. He will see Noria tomorrow, or maybe the day after. My God, Noria! He has not seen her for almost 20 years. How old would she be now? She must be 35. He remembers that he was three years older. A hard life has taken its toll since she left the village, but her beauty still remains. It is not different really here in the city. Just like back in the village, we live our lives together as one. We know everything about everybody. We even know things that happen when we are not there. Things that happen behind people's closed doors deep in the middle of the night. We are the all-seeing eye of the village gossip. When in our orature, the storyteller begins the story. They say it once happened. We are the they. No individual owns any story. The community is the owner of the story and it can tell it the way it deems fit. We would not be needing to justify the communal voice that the story tells if you had not wondered how we became so omniscient in the affairs of Toloki and Noria. Both Toloki and Noria left the village at different times and were bent on losing themselves in the city. They had no desire to find one another and as a result forgot about the existence of each other. But we never stopped following their desperate and meager lives. We were happy when they were happy and felt the pain when they were hurt. In the beginning, there were times when we tried to get them together, like homeboys and homegirls sometimes get together and talk about home and celebrate events and common interests such as births, marriages, ancestral feasts and deaths. But our efforts disappeared like sweat in the hair of a dog. Indeed, even in his capacity as a professional mourner, Toloki avoided funerals that involved homeboys and homegirls. Since his bad experience with Nifolovudwe, the funeral, the furniture maker who made it good in the city and now pretends that he does not know the people from whom the village anymore. And now pretends that he does not know the people from the village anymore. Toloki has never wanted to have anything to do with any of the people of his village who have settled in the city. He is not the type who forgives and forgets, even though his trouble with Nefolo Vudwe happened many years ago. During his early days in the city, Noria, on the other hand, has always lived in the communion with her fellow villagers and with other people from all parts of the country who have settled in the squatter camps. So we put the idea of getting Noria and Toloki together out of our minds today until the funeral of our little brother. The distant bells of the cathedral toll silent night as Toloki prepares to sleep for the night. The strikes are painful and slow, not like the cherry carol that the angel-faced choir boys sang that very morning on the steps of the church. He was on his way to the funeral and he stopped and listened. Christmas Day has no real significance to him, nor has the church, but he enjoys the carols and always sings along whenever he hears them. He could not stop for long since he did not know what time the funeral would be. 
he was not involved in this funeral in his professional capacity. In fact, until that morning, he was not aware that there was going to be a funeral on this day. It is not usual to hold funerals on Christmas Day. He thought he was doomed to sit in utter boredom at his quayside resting place for the entire day, sewing his costume and putting his things in readiness for the busy coming days in the cemeteries. Then he heard two dock workers talk, the stra- talk of the strange things that were happening these days, of this woman whose child was killed and who insisted that he must be buried on Christmas Day or not at all. Toloki there and then decided to seize the opportunity and spend a fulfilling day at the graveside. He did not have an inkling that a homegirl was involved in this funeral. Otherwise, we know that he would not have gone, but after all, he was happy to see Noria. At regular intervals of one hour, the bells tolled silent night. At the window of the tower, perhaps in the belfry, Toloki can see a Christmas tree with the twinkling lights of red, green, blue, yellow, and white. The cathedral is a few streets away from the headquarters, as he calls the quayside shelter waiting room where he spends his nights. But since it is on a hill, he can enjoy the beauty of the lights tonight, and the bells will lull him to blissful sleep with carols. But first, he must prepare some food for himself. From the shopping trolley where he sleeps with all his worldly possessions, he takes out a packet containing his favorite food, a delicacy of Swiss cake relished with green onions. He pushes the trolley into one of the corners where he knows it is always safe. Though his headquarters are a public space, no one ever touches his things, even when he has gone to funerals and left them unattended for the whole day. Everyone knows that the trolley belongs to Dologi, who sleeps at the quayside, come rain or shine. No one ever bothers him or his property, not the cleaners, not the police, not even the rowdy sailors from cargo ships and the prostitutes who came to in- who come to entertain them. He takes the first bite of the cake and then of the green onions. His eyes roll in a dance of pleasure. He chews slowly, taking his time to savor each mouthful. Quite a tingling taste this delicacy has. It is as though the food is singing in his mouth quite unlike the beans that he ate this morning. Those who have seen him eat his food have commented that it is an unusual combination, all the more reason to like it. Although it is of his own composition, it gives him an aura of austerity that he associates with monks of Eastern religion that he has heard sailors talk about. Sometimes he transports himself from the pages of a pamphlet that he got from a pink-robed devotee who disembarked from a boat from the east two summers ago. He walks the same ground that these holy men walk. He has a singularly searing fascination with the lives of these oriental monks. It is the thirst of a man for a concoction that he has never tasted, that he has only heard wise men describe. He sees himself in the dazzling light of the Agori Sadhu, held in the same awesome veneration that the devout Hindus show the votaries. He spends his sparse existence in the cremation ground, cooking his food in the fires of a funeral pyre, feeds on human waste and human corpses. He drinks his own urine to quench his thirst. The only detail missing is a mendicant bow, made from a human skull, for he shuns the collection of alms, votary or no votary, he will not collect alms. 
It is one tradition of the sacred order that he will break, in spite of the recognition of the shamanistic elements of almstaking. When he comes back to a life that is far from the glamour of the Agorisadu in those distant lands, he is glad that even in his dreams he is strong enough to not take a cent he has not worked for. In his profession, people are paid for an essential service that they render the community. His service is to mourn for the dead. He curls up on the bench and sleeps in fetal position that is customary of his village. Although he has been in the city for all these years, he has not changed his sleeping position, unlike people like Nevolo Vodwe, who have taken so much to the ways of the city that they sleep in all sorts of city positions. In all fairness, he has not seen Nevolo Vodwe in his sleep, but a man like him who pretends not to know people from his village anymore, now that he is one of the wealthiest men in the land, is bound to sleep with his legs straight or in some absurd position. Unlike the village people, Toloki does not sleep naked. However, because his headquarters are a public place, he sleeps fully dressed, either in his professional costume or in the only other set of clothes that he owns, which he calls his home clothes. Since his morning costume is getting old, and the chances of his getting another one like it are very slim indeed, he often changes into his home clothes in the public toilets as soon as he arrives back from the funerals. He would like to save his costume so that it lasts for many more years of mourning. This is December and the weather is hot and clammy, so he does not cover himself with a blanket. For the winters when the icy winds blow... Alright, got it. <laughs> so, that was... 21 minutes. Uh, all right, sorry. That was 21 minutes. Um, let me finish my sentence. Uh, he does not cover himself with a blanket for the winters. When the icy winds blow from the ocean, he is armed with a thick blanket that he keeps in his shopping trolley. Um... Interesting. Interesting. This is Ways of Dying by Zakes Mda. Um, it is a 1995 ooh, <laughs> novel from the year I was born. A novel by a South African novelist and playwright to Zakes Mda. The text follows the wanderings and creative endeavors of Toloki a self-employed professional mourner as he traverses an unnamed South African city during the nation's transitional period. Um, yeah, if you would like to read it further or continue with the book, you can get it online, I guess. Uh, thank you so much for listening and I hope you guys tune in next time. Bye.